LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. Hundreds. Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over a hundred years ago. All right, everybody, it is Steve, the Rogue Scholar, and I am just <laughs> having a little bit of fun. Um, apparently, uh, our guy, Ben Bernanke, um, received this uh, <laughs> Memorial Nobel Prize for Economics. And, you know, if you go through this thread from Nathan Tankus, and it's it's kind of funny, he says, given Bernanke the Memorial Nobel in economics for the study of financial crises is the econ equivalent of giving Kissinger the Nobel Peace Prize. And it's like you know, the Nobel Prize. Look at this. Did you know bank runs where many savers withdraw money at once can lead to bank collapse? <laughs> Oh, my. <laughs> anyway, so as you scroll through some of the comments, you know, it's like, hey, he, he, Kissinger already won it in 73. And he's like, I know. Anyway, I, I'm going through this because it's like, you know, at the end of the day, it's really not the memorial. It's not really the Nobel Prize. It's this memorial Nobel and, um, you know, there's even the joke about it being a Swedish bank prize. Uh, but in any event, the idea here is, is that once again, once again, you've got the, uh, the, the system promoting the system for, you know, for its own benefit, right? It, it's kind of like, you know, oh, old Adolf here, he was a really good guy kind of thing, you know, to, from, you know, Goebbels. No, this guy Adolf, he's a decent dude, you know. It's like the bankers sitting there saying, Well, you know, Bernanke's are really, really contributed heavily to the, the furtherance of quality economics. And, and these guys are 100 percent market fundamentalists, free trade, 1000 percent like Jason Furman, who unbelievably Jason Furman said every day, you, me, everyone should wake up in the morning thinking about how they can make more money. I'm not even joking. This is, that's from our government. That These are the people in power. That's the advisors to folks like Biden and advisors to the neoliberal order of the Democratic Party. I mean, I, I it's like, I don't even know where the blur line is between Republicans and Democrats in rhetoric even anymore in rhetoric i don't even know what the difference between them is any longer i mean we we, we really truly we, we really truly know empirically okay that the system is only going to elevate the system okay the system is always going to give accolades and praise you know every one of these obama types they praise themselves. They keep this insular circle going. And you can see with a lot of other folks, so it's not like just reserved to them. But it's really bad because we end up trying to fight against this. But every newspaper, every publication is busy praising Ben Bernanke for winning this award. 
this award. Okay. So I guess, I guess the idea here is, is that nothing is going to fundamentally change is bigger than Joe Biden. It's, it's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. It's a lot more intricate. And originally when I started plotting and planning this stream, I had a lot more energy at the time. And I originally wanted to call this reform a revolution. And uh, because, you know, if you've done any homework at all, by the way, not a little bit, but just any, okay. The idea of thinking that we can vote our way to a better future, just simply vote our way to a better future. Like I have, I have small kids still, and they say all kinds of stuff. They use words like freedom and, other things, they sing songs. They're learning the Pledge of Allegiance in school. I forgive the children because they're being pumped full of this shit, okay? But at the adult level, at the adult level, there are adults with childlike sensibilities that truly believe that we can somehow or another vote our way to the promised land, vote our way to these things that we think are important. That's not how this system works. This system reinforces itself. It intentionally props up things that are absolutely analogous to pain and suffering with a smile on its face while simultaneously ignoring the real winners, the real heroes of the world, the real subjects of the world. And so as Ben Bernanke goes out there celebrating his Memorial Nobel, Remember, the system is never going to give us what we want. I was listening to a commercial, a radio show, actually. And uh, it was uh, this commercial that came on on the show. Um, it was a, uh, says democracy is an action verb. And it was all these veterans talking about how they had served democracy by fighting in all these wars and protecting America's democracy and it's 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 hope for a better tomorrow i'm thinking to myself oh my god every single step along the way the system reinforces itself we're not allowed to criticize veterans because after all veterans made the ultimate sacrifice they put their body on the line in defense of their country right that's that's the shutdown argument right there you can't do anything there and the fact is, is that we keep creating new veterans, new people that have to reintegrate into society while we simultaneously don't talk about that. Every frontline image, every frontline conversation is that this is an expression of activism in democracy, serving our country as soldiers. Seems pretty ironclad. It's hard to it's hard to fight that man. Oh man, you put service to your country. That's democracy, all right. Okay. Each step along the way, it's like this very thin veneer hiding the cesspool of shit right below the surface. And if you think about what I'm saying here, Ben Bernanke is advancing neoliberal economics. There's just no getting around it. Ben Bernanke is not on the side of team us. Okay. Ben Bernanke is in no way, shape or form on the side of team us, but he's out there getting accolades. Have you ever noticed that no one that's fighting for team us gets accolades at all? 
no one from Team Us is on the newspaper saying, hey, this guy identified a way to make workplaces democratic, or this guy understood how to take the means of production away from the few and give to the many. You never hear it. You never hear it. You never hear it. Ever hear it. This is capitalism reinforcing itself. If you've listened to me for any length of time, you know that I would frequently talk about how neoliberalism is baked into our churches, to our sitcoms, to everything, right? Well, every bit of good news is always focused on the market is doing great. The market is doing wonderful. What is the market? The market is people speculating on other people's labor and profiting off of it. That doesn't sound like for the people by the people. Once again, each step along the way, these narratives reinforce that there is no alternative, that everything is hunky-dory, and that if you're not on that train, if you're not out there making a buck, if you're not out there winning and kicking ass, then you are doing something terribly wrong. You're the bad guy, not the system. The system itself is fantastic. And they will tell you that until the cows come home and they will give awards and they will make big shows of how this neoliberal order reinforces itself, both collectively and, you know, individually. I, I think that as we go forward and look at the coming elections, you know, I have this terrible feeling that the mask will be so far off. The mask will be so far off that anything that you see, it's just going to be one gigantic gaslight, one gigantic gaslight. And the idea that somehow or another, something fundamentally changed with ending speculation, without propping up Wall Street, without literally kicking the little guy, while this whole central bank fiasco of raising interest rates when they know goddamn well that's not happening a helping a single person not helping a single person and yes totally off topic completely off topic but let's just say it right now happy indigenous people's day folks every day should be indigenous people's day folks but since the society is declared or the powers that be have declared this to be Indigenous Peoples Day, whoever had the uh, authority to create such a day, uh, happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Anyway, with that in mind, you know, you, I think to myself, Milton Friedman on his deathbed, basically, I mean, I, I'm not going to dramatize. Well, I could. Let's dramatize Milton Friedman's deathbed. You know, he laid there and says, oh, forget Woodrow Wilson having his deathbed confessional about hating the fact that he did the federal reserve i'm gonna have a deathbed confession and this is a legit one by the way even though he probably wasn't on his deathbed where i am going to admit that quantity theory of money is complete bullshit milton friedman did that but you see every sycophant talking about quantity of money and printing money and creating inflation doing this stuff well bernanke who just won this award is one of those guys as well and as you can see from jerome powell he's one of those guys as well okay he's one of those guys as well and so you never see anyone other 
than a capitalist on the television ever. If you see Cornell West, it's like he's outnumbered by however many. And, you know, okay, fine, Cornell West, cool. But you never see anyone other than that, right? You you get a couple, they have a couple token, quote unquote, sort of socialist, democratic socialists that they will throw up there on these television shows, et cetera. But they're always in the minority. They're always the guy that everybody's like, Tell us about this thing where we take care of the people, right? <laughs> it's always a mockery. It's always that. And, you know, I've got, what, 26 people watching this? I mean, it's putrid. It's horrible. I mean, thank you all. Thank you for number 27 now, too. But when these guys go live with Ben Bernanke, they're in front of millions. Millions of people. Millions of people are hearing the praise of this stuff. 27 people are hearing about this bullshit about Bernanke, neoliberalism, and quite frankly, Milton Friedman, etc. That's it. That's it. So the propaganda war isn't a war at all, right? It's not a war at all. They have conquered and they have taken over all things, like literally. This is barely a protest doing this video because we can't, <laughs> there's no solidarity in alt media and there's no solidarity in this movement to help advance these things. There's no solidarity whatsoever. I mean, weirdly, after all this, I, mean, I don't know when YouTube came into existence, but weirdly people still in the year of 2022 don't realize that on YouTube, smashing the like button and subscribing helps small channels like this get out when people that know about the channel tweet these things out it helps too but all these years the year of 2022 people still don't understand that i'm not one of these guys who smash the like button subscribe blah 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 i mean i got it here watch this watch i can do it for you all right now just so you can see that i in fact do have this thing i can do it right now watch boom 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 all of a sudden hey guys don't forget the bell like subscribe and share this puppy you know become a become a subscriber right the fact is we should know this shit by now but there's 32 of us out there and fucking <laughs> krugman and Furman and uh bernanke you name it they have the apparatus of the establishment pumping out the anti this out to the masses and yet the people that are supposed to know this stuff won't help share it. <laughs> I kid you not. We talk about revolution. We talk about all these bold things. Don't vote for Democrats because we've got a revolution to tend to. Well, folks, you're not doing it. You're not doing even the basic stuff that doesn't require you taking a day off from work to go put your fist in the air at the protest. We're not talking about you even donating money. We're talking about free smash share, et cetera. Even that small piece of revolutionary behavior doesn't happen. It's kind of hard to blame. I mean, I blame them fully. Okay. But it's kind of hard to blame politicians for not taking any of this stuff seriously, for not really, really feeling the pressure to change, to not do anything different because we, the people, won't do anything different. We won't do anything different at all. 
So if that's the case, if that's the case, how do we expect it to change? For like, Ben Bernanke, you're such a good and decent man. You've won the Memorial Nobel Prize. Can you please help so we don't have to have a revolution? Can you please, while you're on television in front of millions of people, can you please just go around and tell everybody that you changed your mind and that you're actually really a socialist for the people? You know what I mean? I mean, can you? Can you do it? I mean, he's not going to do it. Why not? Because he is not for us. He is a part of an elite cabal. He's part of a group of people that tend to the propaganda of this country to make sure that around the world we all believe that there is no alternative. That capitalism represents the end of history. That the lies they tell are genuinely just the only truth you'll ever know. Look at the weird coverage of the Russia-Ukraine debacle. Look at how weird the coverage of that is, right? We have capitalism striving to spread its wings and stretch across Europe and into Asia. We've got capitalism stretching into the global south. We've got capitalism doing its best to eliminate and cut off anyone that is not for free markets and wide open, you know, free trade, okay? For this non-neoliberal groups out there, you are the bad guys, according to the news. Everything, everything that is happening is just sort of a, it's a narrative. They sat in a dark room, they smoked some cigars, they went to a golf course, they did whatever, and then they went out there and literally did their thing and told us a story, and then we repeat it and so on. It's kind of like that old hair commercial. You tell two friends and so on and so on and so on. What was it, Anjali? Or I don't know. I don't even remember what it was. So here, what is the real truth happening in Ukraine? Let me just say it like this. The only only information you're getting period. And thank you, Double K. Thank you for doubling up. And thank you for giving me a big old thank you in the morning. I needed this in the afternoon. I guess it is now. We really need the help, folks. So thank you, Double K. Another Super Chat, $49.99. You are the bomb. But let's talk real quick about the Ukraine story. So you've got a bunch of layers of reality to deal with. Okay, first things first, going way, 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 way back. Okay, there was so much geopolitical nonsense. Russia has not always had part of Ukraine and vice versa. I mean, this is a very agrarian area at the time, years and years ago. Very agrarian, very not exactly Russia. It wasn't just Russia, but Russia had gone ahead and helped out the allies, so to speak, and uh, beating Nazism, so to speak, or so it looked on paper anyway, looks like Nazism won World War II after all. But regardless, what ends up happening is you only hear one side of the story, one side. You've got GQ magazine and all the other ones covering uh, Zelensky. And then what you end up having on the other side is a failure to talk about NATO, a failure to talk about U.S. imperialism, a failure to talk about any of the covert wars and all the other things that are going on. Now, 
This is not about the Ukraine people, and it's not about the Russian people. This is about geopolitics. I don't really care one way or the other how it goes. I'm anti-war to begin with, period. So it doesn't really much change anything for me. But what does change for me is this. U.S. capitalism, neoliberalism, U.S. neoliberalism, okay, is 100% a fucking rogue strain of evil that's being spread throughout the universe, throughout the uh, world right now. And part of that came through our pressing of NATO. NATO was supposed to have been disbanded eons ago, okay? Eons ago, we made an agreement that we would get rid of NATO, that NATO would be gone. But no, we didn't do that. Instead, we've used NATO as a means of enforcing neoliberalism around the world, okay? Now, I'm just talking purely about what is at stake here. Russia and Ukraine are pawns in a larger game of who has hegemony in the world. And you've heard a massive, massive division between the non-white countries and the white countries, so to speak. The non-neoliberal countries and the neoliberal countries. And the entirety of Europe, I'm wondering if they're like saying, you know, maybe it wasn't such a good idea to hook up with the U.S. on this. Okay, as the Nord Stream 2 was blown up mysteriously, right? That's not what this talk is about, but in a way it kind of is because the whole concept of all the narratives that we're told are told through the lens of neoliberalism being the ultimate positive thing in the world, the best possible thing in the world. That is literally, literally how it is put out, okay? But the fact of the matter is, is that we know for a fact that neoliberalism is the ultimate plan. It is corporate, it is proto-fascism, really. I mean, we are talking about the merger of corporation and state and the corporation being above the state, the corporation being the one advising the state, the corporation having more access to the state, making all the decisions for the state while we sit there and just accept whatever comes their way. This is why there's no real intervention blocking the constant uh, rate hikes that are going on at the Fed, even though they've already proven this inflation thing's a big scam. Look, gouging, all kinds of other monopoly behaviors, all that stuff has been put out there and it's been hidden. Perfect, I mean, just to perfection by the neoliberal class, by these rulers, these ruling elite. And that, my friends, is exactly what's going on with Russia and Ukraine right now. It is a battle between neoliberalism, NATO, and non-neoliberalism, Russia, China, Iran, the global South, you name it. And because people don't like Putin, and fuck, Putin's an oligarch, just piece of shit like every one of them, right? There's nothing good about Vladimir Putin, no matter how much you want to hate the United States. He sucks. But sitting there propping up Zelensky is like a fucking, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's the advancement of neoliberal capitalism. It's the advancement of unregulated markets. It's the advancement of the war machine. It's the advancement of all kinds of evil. It's not about Ukraine and Russia. It is about neoliberalism circling the wagons. 
Thank you so much, Virginia. I really appreciate this super chat. Once again, she says, without looking at Ukraine and its full historical context, they'll always get it wrong. That's absolutely correct, too. I talked to Esha uh, from uh, Leningrad, actually, for a couple hours the other day. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if it will ever make it out to podcast at this point, simply because well, it's kind of hard to record when you have to go through a VPN when you're in a foreign country. And that's what we ran into. Anyway, so uh, I, this this whole object of negotiating and stuff like that, this is, uh, I, I, I love you to death there, uh, Kevin, but let me just say this. It's not about Russia and Ukraine finding peace with one another. There is a goal here. Russia knew point blank that the U.S. was trying to use through proxy measures to expand the role of NATO into and up to and including into Russia's former borders to right along the edge, allow United States to have nuclear weapons and other things. It did not want that. I'm not here to defend Vladimir Putin. I'm here to simply talk about the geopolitical struggle that's going on. You don't have to like it. I didn't create it. I certainly am not at war. I'm just giving you the, the way it is. And so the history of Ukraine and Russia is very, very important, like Virginia said. Um, and I think it's very important that we not allow ourselves, um, we not allow ourselves to uh, turn a blind eye to neoliberal capitalism because it's draped in the red, white, and blue, okay? This is one of the key things that I find very troubling is in order for us to extract ourselves from this mindlessness of the propaganda machine that they keep pumping at us, okay? You've got to have some sort of core base, some sort of a analytical framework to keep you moored to the realities that, you know, are going on. And, you know, I know that there are some people out there that complain about, historical materialism and so forth. I'm not even going to go down that path too far, but I will just tell you that in order to understand anything, you've got to understand the context and the time frame which it's happening. Okay. And you've also got to understand all the different levers that have been at play. You've got to understand what exactly is it that is the goal here. Now, please tell me, anybody tell me that you believe that the United States government goes to war to protect us for our freedoms. I want you to think about what I'm saying. Have you ever felt like your freedom has been defended by the United States government going to war? Anybody? Nope. Me either. Right. I, I, I see absolutely no, relationship between protecting my democracy my freedom my anything with the war that we get into nothing zero so with that in mind you got to ask yourself what is the point and you know one of the things that i've pointed to many times goes back to the writings of vladimir lenin and it talks about how empire is the highest stage of capitalism okay and imperialism is the highest stage of capitalism. And in that great book, by the way, it was written at the turn of the 19th century or 20th century. Okay. In that pamphlet book, whatever you want to call it, if you read, it will sound almost as if you're reading a newspaper from today. 
Yes, it would be very safe to say Zelensky is a neoliberal. Um, but if you read it, you can see what finance capital does and how it does it and how it's done it since the dawn of time. But you don't see that. Uh, Virginia, if you are still out there, please give here. No, give me a second. I'll pull this up. Let me see if I can find it. Imperialism. Yeah, there we go. Share my screen here with you. So here we go. I don't know whichever one it is. There's Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. Let's go to Abe. <laughs> Abe Books. And it's like um, imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism. That deserves five stars. But anyway, point is you can get this book for pretty cheap. Get it for new for under 11 bucks, and you can get it used for about the same, I guess, huh? Interesting. Well, you can also get it on audiobooks out there. Um, if I look, it doesn't really give any choices there. But anyway, um, if you look through here, let's see what it says. Synopsis, the, uh, here, let's, let's, let's see what they have to say. This transformation of competition into monopoly is one of the most important, if not most important, phenomenon of modern capitalist economy. During the First World War, Lenin found himself isolated, but he was not afraid to fight against the stream. He dedicated all his strength to educating and training the Bolsheviks on the basis of the genuine ideas of Marxism. His masterpiece, Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capitalism, is an immortal monument to his work in the vital field of theory. No book has ever explained the phenomena of modern capitalism better. Indeed, all of Lenin's predictions concerning the concentration of capital, the dominance of the banks and finance capital, the growing antagonism between nation states and the inevitability of war arising out of the contradictions of imperialism have been shown to be true by the entire history of the last hundred years. Communist Manifesto already explains the free competition inevitably gives rise to monopoly and the concentration of capital. In a few giant enterprises, however, this process did not culminate during the lifetime of Marx and Lenin, was a position to analyze it in great details. Using the vast amount of statistics at his disposal, he outlines the process. Lenin further explains that in the stage of imperialist monopoly capitalism, the entire economy is under the domination of the banks and finance capital. Folks, that's it, right? That's it. Today, over 100 years after it was first published, this domination is 100 times greater. Lenin's text therefore stands as required reading for anyone fighting to change society. About this title, maybe anyway. So I hope, I hope that if you get a chance that you will in fact read that book. And I guess I didn't change. Uh, oh, yeah, you can get it from RP Bookshop. Well, shit on a stick. Sorry about that, <laughs> but uh, you need to, you need to be able to break away from your newspaper. That is pure, unadulterated statecraft kind of, you know, propaganda. Okay. Propaganda all the way. And, um, you know, the fact is, is that I remember, and you all should remember when Bernie Sanders was running. And they tried to act like Bernie had been in cahoots with 
Russia because Russian trolls had created a homosexually oriented buff Bernie coloring book where Bernie Sanders had the red, white, and blue and the rainbow flag. And he was like buff man and all this stuff. And it created all kinds of stir and not with conservatives, ironically, neoliberal centrist Democrat garbage. Right. And so this has been going on the red baiting, the red scare with Hillary Clinton. Imagine, imagine voting for someone that had the sack or the FUPA or whatever it is to go out there and do McCarthyite type shit on Bernie Sanders, right? I mean, that's Hillary Clinton. And ever since that point in time, suddenly Russia has been the crosshairs. Hillary not getting the win over Trump really truly has set in motion one of the biggest cover-ups in, in modern history. I have no idea all the details of, of the political bullshit that went into uh, Trump and Hillary. I just know for a fact that one way or the other, the, with the Assange stuff and releasing all the documents that show what a sack of shit the Democratic Party is and how evil Hillary Clinton is within that. Oh, whoa, Carol, a $50 super. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But if you go back to that, it has been a steady stream of them picking an enemy in China and Russia. Why is that? Let's talk about that. That's super, super important. What is the one place where we never have any resistance to new spending? Is it for healthcare? Oh, that's always resisted. Is it for welfare? <laughs> that's always resisted. Is it for a job guarantee to eradicate unemployment? No, not so much. What do you think it is, right? I mean, seriously, what do you think it is? The military, right? So if you don't have an enemy, now let's think about this. What does the GOP love? I'm not talking about the powers of me because they're all in coats. They're all eating five-star meals, you name it, okay? Together, by the way, together on the golf course, you name it, right? So what is it? I am absolutely a MMT-informed leftist, Jay Lord. I am a, I'm a socialist in my own right. Um, I have social Democrat, uh, you know, aspects, but I am absolutely a socialist. I don't see any real redemption in this system, but I also recognize the material conditions are not such, unfortunately, that the people are willing to rise up. It drives me insane. Every day I wake up and realize that people are just going to deep throat that propaganda uh, without resistance. They're not going to resist. They're not going to resist. It's too, too much effort to resist. And so they just don't because it's just too much trouble. It's always going to create a, a fight at the dinner table, whatever. And they're not prepared to give up anything, folks. That is the worst part about this. See, They've balkanized the tiers of income in this country. Instead of having the working class, we have subdivided into a million little lower middle, upper middle, middle middle, uh, upper, whatever. They have a million classes within the quote unquote working class. And as a result of that, they have divided us to the point 
where we fight each other and we don't have to fight capital anymore. We don't fight back against the elites. We don't fight back against oligarchy or, or neo-feudal, uh, you know, tendencies. We just sort of accept whatever comes our way. And, and so we have to look at what do you do here, right? You need a popular front. You need a Vanguard party. You need a group of people willing to not just simply, um, go along to get along. You need a group of people that are willing to be logical, thoughtful, and at the same time willing to agitate and propagate the uh, concept of class unity and class struggle. And they're not willing to do it. We're just simply not willing to do it. And um, it, it, it's terrifying because quite frankly, the right, if you will, and when I say right, I'm talking about conservative-minded people, folks. This whole two sides of the same bird thing I get with the parties. But the left and right is real. Left and right is real. There is real meaningful things that go within those, right? And um, I think to myself, how do we go about getting any kind of real class solidarity in this country? And how do we get away from the Ben Bernanke's of the world? And how do we pull people out of these lies that they're fed, right? So I, 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 don't, I don't always have the most uplifting beliefs because people, I don't, it's, I don't know if it's lazy or fatigued or both. There is a laziness to our minds and it's, 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 you know, we've been created, we've been dumbed down like this. It's kind of like when you go to the slaughterhouses and you see the, the pigs and the chickens and their, their bodies are so big, they can't keep themselves up and they're so fat. They can't keep their head up. Even they don't even have muscles in there. And these blobs of life that are just harvested for food and, and I feel like that's what we've become kind of in, in a lot of ways. Right? I feel like we've really kind of become that. Um, yeah, I hate that. Carol, you're exactly right. I mean, this is the truth. Lies are like car wrecks. Truth is boring. Everybody wants a goddamn James Bond novel. They want to live a James Bond existence instead of just recognizing the truth while it may be boring, is killing us. The truth that is our lives, I mean, you know, I, I talked about this the other day, and it's it's really sensitive subject because a lot of people don't have a deep enough nuance to the way their brains operate that they can't handle abstractions. And that repulses me, but I accept that that's reality. But I think about Jeffrey Dahmer before he became a sociopathic killer. And he was terrified of people finding out he was gay. He was terrified about people hearing the thoughts that were in his head. He had no friends. He had no one to talk to. He fought in all the interviews you can hear of him later in life. You could hear he did everything he could to kind of keep this voice in the back of his head away to keep the urges out. And you know, he even went to church all the time in his mind that was somehow or another going to help. He, he was desperate for help and there was no help to be had. 
There was no help to be had. And the rest is history. Like so much of capitalism, we ignore this because we don't want to be seen as weak. Okay. And, and so thank you so much humorous for the super chat big time. Thank you so much. Let's read the comment in this country. We're all slaves owned by the United corporations of America, which is owned by the oligarchs. We just don't know where we're slaves because we can't see the chains. But I always say we are in an open air prison and the construct of our chains is debt. And um, we really don't have a whole lot outside of that. Debt is a disciplining way of keeping us in the system because if we don't, the cost to us, both materially in terms of our health and our well-being and our ability to survive is completely, completely uh, ravaged. And, and so I think it's important to understand that you know, this system has a way of keeping us locked in even if we want out. And being able to get that message out to people so that they can see it without it sounding like you're an edge lord. I mean, like, this is real. What we're talking about here is real. But to talk to people about it who are enjoying another uh, vacation or who maybe just got a promotion or two inches above the pig slop, they don't want to hear it. And the problem is they keep enough people in that realm that they can see other people below them, this gap psychology that keeps them thinking I'm above the pig slop. And by being above the pig slop, they want to protect their station. And this is the story of centrist Democrats who on one side sound like they're our friends. They sound like they're our friends. They want the right things. They say so anyway, until all of a sudden it comes time to have to lay down in sacrifice to force the powers that be to give it. And that's when they look and they go, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. I kind of like uh, kind of like this uh, lifestyle I'm leading. Why in the world would I want to jeopardize that? And so lo and behold, like all revolutions that don't get started, the division of the classes the, the, the division of the classes, which should only be one class, the working class. That class is so divided by extra perks. You know, I, I, think, I think I feel like I need to say this repeatedly to make it stick because it's not something I learned in high school. It's not like something I learned in middle school. It's something I only learned as I moved to the left and dug in and learned. And quite frankly, you know, this, this system that we're in, this U.S.-based system has always been, always been an attack on regular people. It's always been in protection of capital. It's always been protection of private property. It's always been to protect the elites from the masses. And going back, and this is what I'm talking about that I didn't learn in middle school and I didn't learn in high school and I didn't learn in college. You, know, you go back to Bacon's Rebellion. It's, you know, Bacon's Rebellion. Let's pull this up. Let's read. Let's just find random article on Bacon's Rebellion real quick. This is uh, worth hearing. 
And if you've never heard this stuff before, this is your first time passing through, I'm just picking up random thing. I mean, I, I just want you to know that there is a lot of these things. Um, let's see, which one is this? Uh, I wish I, maybe under Zinn. See, I, I'd rather hear Howard Zinn's version than some of these other. See what we got here. Um, well, I may not be able to do that. <laughs> Tried, but may not be able to do that. Uh, well, maybe. Here we go. I think I maybe can. So I'm going to share my screen with you guys one more time. Let's see if I can pull this up. So I'm going to read this, and this is important to understand. He says, what made, you son of a biscuit? It's like, what made Bacon's rebellion especially fearsome for the rulers of Virginia was that black slaves and white servants joined forces. The final surrender was by 400 English and Negroes in arms at one garrison and 300 freemen and African and English bond servants in another garrison. The naval commander who subdued the 400 wrote, most of them I persuaded to go to their homes, which accordingly they did, except about 80 Negroes and 20 English, which would not deliver their arms. Although those early years, black and white slaves and servants ran away together, as shown both by the laws passed to stop this and the records of the courts. In 1698, South Carolina passed a deficiency law requiring plantation owners to have at least one white servant for every six male adult Negroes. A letter from the Southern colonies in 1682 complained of no white men to superintend our Negroes or repress an insurrection of Negroes. In 1691, the House of Commons received a petition of divers, merchants, masters of ships, planters, and others trading to foreign plantations, setting forth that plantations cannot be maintained without a considerable number of white servants as well to keep blacks in subjection as to bear arms in case of invasion. Now, let me tell you why any of that mattered right now. The fact of the matter is, is that they gave whites the little teeny perk. They're now superintendents of the Negroes. Okay. Got to have one white to every six blacks. So now all of a sudden you've created the hierarchy, the necessary hierarchy. And once they gave the perk, the way that the whites and the blacks got together as one army to fight back and resist was shattered by simply giving the poor whites just a little teeny bit more, a little perk to splinter out and destroy class solidarity. This is what has been going on since the dawn of time. And thank you, Howard Zinn, for all the great work you've done over the course of your life and even after everything you've done. Wonderful, 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 wonderful. Appreciate Howard Zinn so much, okay? So I want you to think about what I'm saying. Class solidarity is destroyed by the smallest of perks. Now consider the way neoliberal capitalism works by elevating certain people and keeping the divide. Trust me, even in this MMT activist space, you have situations like that playing out as well. 
where the fair-haired get elevated and the others get kicked down. It happens in every aspect of activism, happens in every aspect of industry, happens in every aspect of you name it. And they know it because all it takes is the slightest, slightest perk, the slightest change of goals and aspirations to simply divide the working class into splinters, incapable of making any kind of change whatsoever, period. So learning about Bacon's rebellion is informative, in my opinion, for understanding what's happening with centrist Democrats and the left. The poor, while we're always looking and wondering, hey, is this the time? Only to find out, no, it's not the time. It's never the time. It's always be patient. It's never the time. It's never the time. Okay. So the idea of reform or revolution is kind of a, a debate that doesn't really have any legs because you have always got a small group of people that are pissed off and ready to roll. They always shift it around, always shift it around to ensure, always shift it around to ensure that class solidarity is never the top priority. It is always keeping neoliberal interest first and foremost at the top, at the top. Yes, faith is easy too. I mean, folks, you are literally dealing with a system today that does four key things. It does more than this, but I'm going to focus on four real quick. Number one, it divides us. The haves, the have-nots, and the have-a-little-bit-mores. Haves, have-nots, and the have-a-little-bit-mores. The other thing is that our political system gives you the placebo effect that you have made a difference by voting. Now, I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not telling you not to vote because I vote. I'm telling you the idea of casting a vote and believing that these big changes are coming from it is a lie. It's not happening. You have no, you have zero, by the way, evidence that you can vote your way to this kind of a socially inclusive, um, even a social democracy, much less a socialist empire, much less a communist anything this is so far afield of that so far to the right of that so absolutely not what anyone's looking for at least that's not what they say they're looking for you have to wonder why is it even in place how does it even exist and then the last ones are to make sure that we're stupid to make sure we're not educated to make sure that we're highly propagandized and jingoism and nationalism and all these isms that they put on top of us to secure us in their system. And then the last one is they keep things moving fast so that our attention span is short. Things that matter sometimes take long time to build. They don't happen overnight. They require effort, not just sort of, Hey, you know, I'll do it when I feel like it. I mean, we're talking about like devoted effort and they know this. They've got money. They've got the power. They've got organization and they're not like quibbling over which is which they're like, we need capital to stay large and in charge. And they do. And that's exactly what they do. But at the activist level and at the left, if you will, shit, we're so splintered and fragmented and, People think that putting a bunch of memes out there on Instagram somehow or another represents being an activist and somehow or another represents a major fundamental change, but it doesn't. 
It simply doesn't. Simply doesn't. We are really trapped unless we choose to break free. And um, I don't see any evidence that enough of us are ready to break free. Break free, whether it be just intellectually, break free and make the system obsolete somehow. Um, I don't see anything like that. And so we're left with educating people and hoping that as people are educated, that they decide, they decide that they're going to resist, resist and um, do things differently. You know, I, I don't see, I don't see that path though. It's not that I don't want that path. I want that path. I just, I mean, I go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday here. I go live on Tuesday nights with Jordan. I go live uh, on, well, I do a show on Sundays typically with a status quo called Let's Get Ready to Grumble. Um, I'm on as many shows as I can get on, whether it be Political Misfits, I go on Jen Perlman. I try and get on some of the larger shows, but they prefer to have people talk about economics that they don't necessarily know, talk about economics, whatever. Um, I don't see any kind of alt media solidarity. I don't see Kropotkin is a um, anarchist and uh, his book of bread. I mean, good stuff, but Kropotkin is a, an anarchist. Um, I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure I'm recommending him. Um, you can check out our podcast on macaron cheese with Michael Albert. Uh, that talks extensively about anarchism, um, if you're interested. Um, but in any event, I could go on and on. I can't go on and on. Um, I just want you all to be aware that we are being buried at 100 different levels, and it requires a proactive act of saying, no, I'm, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to choose to do something differently. It's not, they're not going to do it for you. You're not going to go to school and get educated on this. You're not going to um, show up to watch the nightly news and get educated on it. You're not going to go. Um, you're not going to go anywhere and learn it unless you choose to do it. And so, you know, to me, at the end of the day, we are what's holding us back. Just like in Bacon's Rebellion. When those forces united together, they had the power elite paying attention. When those forces stopped being united together, the powers that be said, we already got it. We're good. We don't need to go any further. They've already done it to themselves. They accepted a penny to get over top of one another. And lo and behold, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, with that, I am Steve Grumbine. I am the Rogue Scholar, and I'm going to do this one time. Please, folks, we got about 13,400 followers, subscribers on this channel. We have 130,000 stranded on Facebook, 130,000 freaking followers on Facebook, and we can't get to most of them. We have 13,000 on YouTube. Folks, help us get our people over here. We also have our real uh progressives uh youtube channel as well so you got real progress in action and real progressives this one we leave open for us to talk about pretty much any subject 
that we need to talk about. But over there at Real Progressives, it's largely education. So if you want education and editorial, you'll find it here. If you want education, you'll find it over there. And you need both. So with that, I'm asking you all, please consider following us, become a donor, become a volunteer, become any number of things. Just be part of us. Come join us. We need your help. We need you to help us wake people up, shake the structure up, be part of educating others. Join us learning, reading, t- doing book clubs, stuff like that. We've got a Howard Zinn, uh, People's History of the U.S. Uh, book club coming up shortly. We'll be also doing Randall Ray's book, Making Money Work for Us, uh, book series as well. And this is Macroeconomics, Modern Monetary Theory. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, we've got a lot going on, but we need you. You're the missing piece there. So by all means, subscribe, become a part of what we're doing. Help us. We need help. We don't. We need help, folks. God, God, we need help, folks. We need help. We need help. We need help. This is an advertisement. We need help, folks. We need your help. We need help badly. And we need some people that are outgoing and, and willing to be kind of out there because we've got a lot of introverts manning the internal part of the org. And we need some extroverts to help us outside of our protective cocoon. So with that, Folks, I am Steve Grumbine, and I am the Rogue Scholar, and I hope you guys enjoyed today. But for this Grumbine, I am out of here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org. 